Amen. Lord, you are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, to be honored, to be lifted up. We pray now as we go to your word that you would minister to every one of our hearts. We thank you that your word is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Father, we pray again that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon us, Lord, that your spirit would be the one that would minister to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. If you don't have a Bible, you'll need one. So raise your hand. All right, you're going to need it. We do have Bible studies here, amen? All right, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy. We are starting yet another book of the Bible. Praise the Lord. Do you guys enjoy Numbers or what? Numbers was an awesome book. I really had a, what a blessed, blessed time I had, we had going through that. I know we spent, I guess it was eight or nine months. When you go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. And I'm excited about going through Deuteronomy. And again, it's just an opportunity to hear again from the Lord. What I love about the Bible, and it, it, well, one, it rocks, amen? And you've got to love the Bible because it's so clearly in the Old Testament, we see Jesus over and over and over again. In Genesis, we saw the sinfulness of man, that though he was put in perfection, that he chose to sin and rebel against God. We saw then Abraham and God's covenant that he made with Abraham. We got to Exodus, they spent 400 years in bondage and God delivered them out of that bondage. And then after He delivered them, they began to march toward that land of promise. We got to Leviticus and it was just one month that He spent at the feet of Mount Sinai where the Lord gave Him all the uh, feasts and and all the different uh, sacrifices that were to be made. And then we got to Numbers and that was the 40 year journey in the wilderness, leaving from Mount Sinai and then headed to the Jordan, over to the promised land. And we know that they got there and they didn't enter in. And we'll talk about that. But that's where we find ourselves, where we'll find ourselves tonight. We're still camped just outside of the Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan, looking into the promised land. And so Deuteronomy, and, and I've titled just my overview for Deuteronomy, if, if Numbers was in the wilderness, because that's a better name for Numbers, wandering in the wilderness, Deuteronomy is equipped for ministry. Because Deuteronomy, they're about to enter into the land of promise, and Moses is about to ascend into heaven, and this is his last message from this patriarch, this man of God, as he's speaking to the children of Israel as they're about to enter in. He's not going to be able to go with them, as we know, because he had rebelled against God, even for a moment, and he was going to miss out on God's highest. So, Deuteronomy, it's the last of the five books of what is called the Pentateuch. Penta just meaning five, the first five books of the Bible. In Jewish terms, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. If you hear somebody Jewish call it the Torah, that's just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's also called the Law of Moses, because the first five books are, is all the law, and it was all penned by Moses. We know it's written by the Holy Spirit, written by God, but penned by Moses. Now, at this point, he's going to give them this long graduation speech, as I would call it. He's about to, to go away from them, and over the next 36 chapters, it's basically one long sermon of him sharing his heart with the next generation, those children of those who had died in the wilderness who are about to head in to the land of promise. He's got about three million Israelites, as we know, and this entire book that we're going to be looking at takes place in one spot. It's 1405 B.C., and it's in Moab, where the Moabites were, whom they had already defeated. And they're again about to head in to the land of promise. And Moses seeks to equip this next generation for their new life in the promised land. Remember that much of this generation were either infants 
or some of them were not even born yet, 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai where the law was given for the first time. Deuteronomy means second law. Deuteronomy means second law, the second giving of the law. And some of you are thinking, oh no, Pastor Dave, we already went through the law. Are we doing that again? Yes, we are. Amen? If God put it in the Bible twice, we need to hear it twice. Amen? Everything's in here proportionate to how He wants us to have it. But praise God, as this time, it's going to be written in a little bit different way, where Leviticus was written, a lot of it, to the priest, and instructing them how to minister. That's why it's called the Le- you know, book of Leviticus, right? To the Levites. How they were to minister. This is really written directly to the people. And again, it's Moses' heart speaking to them. One of the most important responsibilities the older generation has is teaching the younger generation the Word of God and how to live a godly life. And that's basically what we see in this entire book is Moses, this man who's 120 years old, about to go to heaven, and he's sharing his heart with that generation that's getting ready to enter in. So the first thing he's going to do is he's going to remind them of God's faithfulness and also the failing of their ancestors. You know, they had been delivered out of bondage. They'd been plagued and then destroyed. God had plagued and destroyed their enemies. He had supernaturally led them with a cloud and the pillar of fire. He had supernaturally protected them when the Red Sea parted. He supernaturally provided for them, dropping manna out of the sky. He spoke to them from Sinai. Remember that they literally heard God's voice from Sinai. And they were petrified. They said, Moses, don't, for now on, you just go up and talk to him. Because we, just can't, we can't take it. We can't have it. We just want to, it's just too much for us. And we know Moses went up and came down and had to veil his face because his face was glowing in the dark. And all that God had done, how did Israel respond? We've been looking at it for the last many months. They murmured, they rebelled, and they complained. And so we know that because of the rebellion, that they were not going to enter in to the land of promise. They've been delivered from bondage and yet still were attached to Egypt. Remember that they worshipped a golden calf. 40 days, the pastor's out of town for 40 days, right? He goes up on Mount Sinai, he comes back down, and they're they're worshiping an idol. They rebelled against Moses. They wanted to go back to Egypt, the place of beatings, the place that they've been crying out for 400 years to be delivered from. It just shows the hardness of the heart of man. So he's going to share with them first, we're seeing the first portion of Deuteronomy. He shares with them the, the law once again, but also he shares with them how their ancestors have blown it. In the second portion, he does really specifically reiterate the law. Again, giving it to them the second time. And again, God put it in here twice. It's in there for a reason. Moses urged the people in this section to love the Lord. And love is the greatest motive for obedience. You know what, guys? Can I tell you, just share my heart with you guys as your pastor. We don't obey so God will love us. God already loves us. Obedience is fruit of salvation. When we've been born again, we obey Him because we love Him. It's an act of worship when we walk in obedience. It's an act of saying, Lord, I trust You and I believe everything You say in Your Word is what is best for me. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And so important was this book of Deuteronomy to the Jewish nation that when we get to the, the, to the latter part of the book, we're going to see that the Lord commands that every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, that the way they would end the feast is that they would get up and read the entire book, word for word. God wanted them to remember, as they were sitting in those tabernacles, those temporary dwellings, remembering their time wandering through the wilderness, what the end result was, and the end result was Deuteronomy. 
God gave us this book we're about to enter in, and they were to learn from it and never forget the disobedience and the rebellions of their fathers and the resulting consequences. Now, what does that have to do with you and I today? Let me tell you several facts about this book, and we'll get into chapter 1. Number 1, all Scripture is inspired by God. Amen? And Deuteronomy is just as inspired as Romans or Acts or any other book. And that's why we go through every word, every single line. Second thing is Deuteronomy is quoted in the New Testament nearly 100 times. Nearly 100 times. And, I love this part, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. More than Psalms, more than Isaiah, more than Genesis. The book that Jesus Christ quoted from the most in the New Testament was Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, when Jesus began his public ministry, the first thing that happened, he was baptized. After his baptism, he was led away in what? He was tempted, remember? He was tempted for 40 days, 40, the number of testing. And when he was tempted by Satan, how did he respond? He always responded with what? With the Word of God. And all three times he responded were direct quotes out of the book of Deuteronomy. So we see that our Lord had a love for this book. We see that it's quoted over a hundred times in the New Testament. We see that God commanded that at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to stand up and read it word for word, that they would never forget it. And so if it's applicable to them, it's applicable to us today. Amen? And if Jesus is quoting from it, we ought to learn it. And so praise God. And also later when he was tempted by or attacked by his own enemies, we saw that yet again he quoted from Deuteronomy. So the Father commanded it to be read, the New Testament quotes it, and Jesus quoted it more than any other Old Testament book. So a brief outline before we get to chapter 1. The first four chapters, what God had done for Israel. He's going to review their desert wandering and His provision for them and His judgment upon the rebellion. And then in the next, from chapter 4 to chapter 26, it's what God expects of Israel going forward. He's going to reemphasize the law and the testimonies and the, the statutes and the ordinances that he had given them in Leviticus. And then lastly, what God will do for Israel. There's a prophetic portion of Deuteronomy where he talks about what will happen in the future. He tells them who their new leader is going to be in this book. And we know who it is. Who is it? Joshua. And so Joshua is going to be the new leader. And we'll see that at the end of the text. And so he gives them, again, quotes of the near future, blessing and cursing. But also in this book... He speaks of distant future in Deuteronomy, toward the end. And he talks about Israel's dispersion among the nations, and then Israel being rejoined together again as a nation. Now when did that happen? 1948, okay? Recently. So, we see that Deuteronomy, while again, it's the second giving of the law, it has great application for us today, and it's very applicable to what even is going on in the world right now. So, let's take a look. We're going to begin in chapter 1. And again, this is him equipping and warning those who are about to enter into the land of promise. And tonight I titled the message, and this is going to sound kind of cornball compared to what I usually title messages, but I titled it, Learning from Mom and Dad's Mistakes. Because exactly what he's going to be talking to them about in this chapter, and actually the first four chapters really in detail, it's all the mistakes that the previous generation had made and things that they needed to learn from. Things that the people that had gone before them had failed in. And I'll tell you what, one of the hardest things for us is not to want to go out and experience it ourselves. You know, too often we want to go out and find out exactly what it's like to experience it ourselves. But how much heartache would we save ourselves if we would listen to those who've already been through it? Amen? 
Some of you are single in here and you want to be married. I know that's true. And married people come up to you and say, you know what, I'm telling you, wait for the person God has for you. Be patient, you know, be patient, be still. And the single person says, don't even talk to me, you're already married, I'm lonely, okay? Don't start with me, right? And the reality is, though, that if we would listen to those who have gone before us, we would learn so much and save ourselves so much heartache. And that's what chapter 1, a lot of what chapter 1 is, is him telling them, this is what they went through. You don't have to go through it if you will just heed the counsel. So beginning in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says there, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Zuth, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. Now, where is this? This is, on, again, on this side of the Jordan River. It's on the side where how many tribes settled on that side? Who settled for less? How many, remember? Two and a half tribes. Have you guys been coming? Two and a half tribes said, you know what? We're just going to stay right here. The, the enemy's already been conquered. It's easier here. We don't have to cross over the Jordan and enter into God's highest. We'll just settle for something less. My prayer would be that as Christians, none of us would be willing to settle for less than God's highest for our lives. Amen? Jordan River, a picture, a type of, of Holy Spirit baptism. May we not be satisfied with the get-out-of-hell-free card, but may we have a desire to literally live in the center of God's will and have everything that He has for us. But two and a half tribes said, we're happy, we'll just camp right outside of here. And so the other nine and a half tribes are about to enter in, and He's on that side with them, and again, He begins to share His heart. He speaks these words to all of Israel. Remember again that Moses to them was their deliverer. Again, it's Jesus who delivers us, but Moses was the man that God had used. And Moses was a man that had a great amount of, of respect among many of them. Now we know that a lot of them rebelled against him, but he was a man that God used in a mighty way. And so at this point, he, Moses knows he's not going in either. Moses knows, why didn't Moses get to enter in? What did he do? He he smote the rock. When the Lord said, speak to the rock, he smote it. And remember, he misrepresented God. He misrepresented God by saying that God is angry when God was not angry. God loves his children. And there are times when God does get angry, but he was not angry, he was merciful. And he, and he misrepresented God, and because of that, he was not going to enter in. And I'll tell you what, this actually blesses me about Moses, because, you know what, couldn't he have just, like, pouted? You know, I've been hanging out with these three million whiners for 39 years. I make one mistake, now I don't get to go. Right? Now that's how our flesh sometimes thinks. But praise God for Moses. He was a, he was a man that when he blew it, he repented. He knew, again, he was a man who spent a lot of time in God's presence. And the reality is that the alternative that he got wasn't so bad. Because where's he going? Heaven. The ultimate promised land, Amen. So he's on this side of the Jordan, the Jordan Valley, just outside again of the Promised Land. They could even look in and see it, verse 2. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, Horeb is also another name for Mount Sinai, by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So how many days' journey was it from Mount Sinai all the way to Kadesh Barnea? How many days? 11 days. How long did it take them? 40 years. Why? Because disobedience turned an 11-day walk into a 40-year death march because they disobeyed God, because they would not enter into the land of promise. We'll talk about that. Now, Kadesh Barnea is where Numbers 13 and 14 took place. Israel believed the report of the unfaithful spies, and we'll see that more in the text tonight, and rebelled against God, refusing to go into the promised land, and that whole generation lost due to a lack of faith in God's word. You know what? 
How much have we missed out on because of a lack of faith in God's Word? Can I I encourage you? You know what? Is it time for us to be more faithful? What kind of day are we living in? You know, I was talking to Pastor Bill about this. Those of you are coming on Sunday, you know, we're going through 1 Corinthians. We were in chapter 5 and 6 talking about sexual immorality. And you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, God wiped it off the face of the earth. But I believe, I truly believe that this is the most sexually immoral time in the history of the world. And here's why. Because we have technology that brings it into everybody's home at the click of a button like no other time in history. And because of that, you know, a, a matter of fact, I don't know if Bill announced it, there's a, a law that was just passed that makes it against the law even for pastors to speak out against homosexuality. We've got phone numbers for you guys. You can call because Schwarzenegger can veto it. But I'm going to tell you something right now. If they start enforcing that law, you better send me a cake with a hacksaw because you know where I'm going to be. Amen? Because we're going to teach the Bible around here no matter what the world says. Amen? And the reality is that they're clamping down. But we live in a sexually immoral time when we're blurring all the lines. And it's so sad and it just breaks my heart. And what is happening is we're living in a time where God's word is mean less and less. We're seeing rebellion all around us. And it's time for us to be those who step up and have faith so that we don't miss out on God's highest. So we don't wander around in the wilderness somewhere trapped between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, right? Somewhere trapped between, you know, I've been born again, but I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Trapped somewhere between Mount Sinai and entering into the land of promise. God desires that we have all of Him, and that's what I want. How about you, amen? I want all of what God has for me, and I don't want to settle for less than that. And God tells you to do something, I want to encourage you. When God tells you to do something, don't wait. I know so many people I talk to about the Lord, they're like, yeah, God put it on my heart about 15 years ago that I was supposed to. I'm like, what are you, you waiting for 40 years? You want to be like, you want to be an honorary child, children of Israel? What, what's up, right? And the reality is that if God gives you a burden, a burden is a spawning ground for a calling. And if God stirs up a burden in your heart, step out. And you know what, though? The reality is, I would rather have us doing things and having them not necessarily be as fruitful as we would like than not doing anything at all. Amen? God will forgive us if we step out in faith and it doesn't work out. That's okay. Amen? I would much rather have us be like that. Do something. If you're going to do it, do it immediately. Don't waste your days wandering around. Verse 3 and 4. Now it came to pass in the 40th year. Imagine writing these words down. It's an 11-day trip and it came to pass in the 40th year. Man. Whole generation. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had given him as commandments to them. Now, so he gives them and he shares with them all the commandments. Again, the older generation has passed away, and now he's raising up the next generation in the truth. By the way, dads, guess who the number one person is in raising up your children to know the Word of God? You. It's not me. It's not the, it's not the Sunday school teacher. All this is gravy. Amen? God has called you and your wife. It's called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by Word of God. So we need to spend time opening up the Bible for our children. You know, we used to have devotionals with my kids when they were little, and we'd get the flannel board out, and I'd have my kids at 2, 3, and 4, each one of them leading us in a worship song. And, you know, it was always the same three songs, but that's okay. You know, B-I-B-L-E, and Jesus loves me, and that kind of stuff. And that stuff's precious. And you know what? That stuff doesn't return void in that older generation. That's our number one calling. My number one calling in life is to raise up my four kids to love Jesus and to be the spiritual leader to my wife and in my home. That's my number one calling even before being the pastor of this church. And I love Moses' heart here. He looks at that next generation and he pours out all the commandments. 
everything that he had been taught. I'm about to go away and I'm not leaving you guys without everything that God has shown me. Every single bit of it. After he had killed Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who dwelt in Ashtaroth in Edri. Now it's interesting, remember, and this is again back in Numbers, if you remember that they came to the land and, and, the, and Og, they were considered to be giants. And what was it that caused the older generation to run away? Giants in the land. We'll see that again in the text. But we notice this next generation came, and Og literally had 60 cities under his power, and God told him to attack, and they attacked him, and they wiped him out. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And too often we look at the size of the army, and we need to remember the size of our God. Our God's greater than any enemy, any financial difficulty, any illness, anything we could go through. God's greater than that. And so we need to trust in Him. And so praise God, the next generation came and when, they, when, the, when it was their opportunity to either run or stand for God, they stood up. And they defeated Og and they defeated Sihon. And Og's name actually means gigantic and that's exactly what he was. But the victory was ready. God was ready to minister to them as soon as they were ready to step out. You know what? Again... You may be here tonight and God is so, has such a great plan. So many things He wants to do with you and He just wants you to put your foot in the Jordan. He just wants you to step out. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Step out. Again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. On verse 5 it says, On this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying... So Moses is now going to explain, and I love the word for explain, is where we get the word exposit. So he literally is going to take Scripture and explain it to them. By the way, I want to encourage you. If you've never taken a class in inductive Bible study, come out on Sunday. I know it's a sacrifice to come out on Sunday afternoon. It's exactly the same class, but in an abbreviated form that I'll be teaching in India next month with Gospel for Asia. And it's, in those guys, they don't have anything but their Bible. In some ways, that's okay. They have their Bible, they don't have any commentaries, they don't have any Greek, Hebrew, lexicon, but it's teaching them how to study their Bible, having their Bible, a pencil, and a pad of paper. And if you've ever really wanted to dig deeper into God's Word, I want to encourage you to pray about coming on Sunday afternoons from 2 to 4.30 for three weeks. You'll be blessed, there's homework, I'll help you, I promise, okay? And so Moses began to explain or, or exposit the Scripture to this younger generation. He looks at them, he's about to go away, he doesn't pout because he's not going. He doesn't, you know, stick his big bottom lip out. And, you know, he, he says, you know what? I'm called to minister to the next generation. Verse 6 through 8. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. He's talking about Sinai. So the Lord told us when we were at Sinai, we had dwelt there long enough. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, in the south and on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, we've talked about this before. Did the children of Israel ever get all the land that God had for them? The answer is no. Do you know where some of that land is? Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan. Now, if they had just gone and taken the land God told them to take, we wouldn't be having these problems right now. All right? But you know what? It was all part of God's plan. God knew this was going to happen. 
But the reality is, again, that God had so much more for even those who walked in obedience. Because he tells them, down to the river Euphrates. And that's where Iraq is. And that's where Iran is. And so often, again, we, we stop short of God's highest. I know there's a common theme in this message, right? But we stop short of God's highest. We're satisfied being not quite where God would like us to be. Doing all that God wants to do with us and in us. And he says to him, it's time to move on and move out. And here's the land that God has given to you. See, I have set the land before you. Verse 8. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and their descendants after them. You know what I love about this? I love the fact that even though their parents blew it, God's covenant was still applicable to them. God's covenant did not go away because they're that their moms and dads, their ancestors, the generation before them failed. That their, God's covenant was still for them. And again, I want to encourage you. It doesn't matter what kind of family life you came from. If you came from a Christian home, praise God for that. But do you know that God can deliver you from any kind of household? Amen? And we talked about dysfunctional before. And you know Pastor Dave's opinion and all that stuff. But here's the reality. Every family that ever was, has ever existed has been dysfunctional because a better word is sinful. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you're struggling with God, it's not your mom and dad's fault. You can turn right now and get right with the Lord. And praise God that this covenant went to the next generation even though the parents had totally blown it. Even though the parents died in the wilderness. Can you imagine you're walking along and you're just watching all your parents, everybody's parents are dying right around them. Everybody's parents. Imagine if we were the generation, all of our parents have died in the wilderness. Now Moses gets up and says, the land is still for us. God is faithful to his covenant. He's still going to give it to his children. He says, go in and take the land. Grab hold of what God has promised to you. And you know what we're going to see in the next few verses? We can trust God's promise. Look at verse 9. I spoke to you at that time saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as He has promised you. The Lord had promised Abraham back in Genesis 15, look now toward heaven, He said to Abraham, and count the stars, if you were able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. The promise is fulfilled right here. Look what he says. Your children are as numbered as the, as the stars in the heavens. And so God is faithful in that promise to the children of Israel. Can they trust in his promise to give them the promised land then? That's what I love about the Bible is we get to see all the promises He has fulfilled and the promises He has yet for us. And since He has fulfilled every promise He's already made to us that's past tense and we can trust Him, then we can trust Him for all those promises that are yet to come. Amen? And, I wanna, and that's a great thing to know. Our God is, bats a thousand every time. Amen? He never makes a mistake. He's always right. His word is always perfect. And praise God that they, they have this promise, and there this promise is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. As God fulfilled this covenant with Israel concerning their offspring, they could have faith that He would also fulfill His promise concerning their inheritance and the land that they would occupy. Verse 12. Now watch this. Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen? And Christianity is not, you know, you're not the only one who's called, by the way. Right? Praise God. I mean, I, you know, the reality is that God has called all of us. If you're saved, you're called. You're either a saint or an ain't, right? And if you've been born again and you're a saint, then God has a calling on your life. And He didn't call you just to be, you know, 
We've talked about it, fat sheep just getting fed. But he called you to use you for his glory. And now Moses at this point is overwhelmed. And let's take a look as the number of people is growing. He says, how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? How can I alone bear all these things? Now this is back in Numbers 11. Remember the people started complaining about the food again. They had a complaint of the week, right? Whatever it was. Now we're going to complain about, now let's complain about manna this week. So they start whining about the manna. God's dropping, you know, glazed donuts out of the sky, right, that don't have fat content. I mean, they're healthy, right? We know it was some kind of pastry kind of thing. So this pastry stuff is dropping out of the sky, and it's good for them, and it tastes good, and they're whining about it. Instead of thanking God for His provision, right? If He starts dropping Krispy Kreme donuts in my backyard and tells me they're good for me, I'm happy. How about you, amen? <laughs> but the reality is He's raining down manna, and they start whining, and He finally says, you know what, I can't take it anymore. I'm one guy. How am I going to minister to three million whiners? I got three million of you guys. I mean, that's a heavy-duty church to be pastoring, right? Three million, all of them whining. And so what he says, I can't do this alone. And he says, choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And he answered me and said, the thing which you have told us is to do is good. So he took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you. Leaders over thousands, leaders over hundreds, leaders over fifties, leaders over tens, and officers for your tribes. Now these guys were also what we would call today elders. He raised up wise and knowledgeable men. An elder does not speak of a man's age, it speaks of his spiritual maturity. And God raised up these guys to come alongside Moses. And that's why, you know what, I, even though God has called me to be the senior pastor of this church, we have six other elders in this church, right? And there are others that operate like them as well. And they keep me accountable, and they're the ones that, do, that again, are, we're coming alongside each other in ministry. You know what's interesting, though? These guys later became known as a group called the what? Who knows? The Sanhedrin. Isn't that interesting? These guys were called to help Moses, to hold up his hands. Moses is a type of whom? Of Christ. And what happens? The 70 later become the Sanhedrin. It was the Sanhedrin that cried out for Jesus' crucifixion, along with many others. But they were the ones plotting behind the scenes. Now, it says that in Numbers 11 that these guys were to stand with Moses. They had the same spirit as Moses. They were to bear the people's burdens. And the elders were not elected by the congregation, though they acknowledged them. You know, it's interesting, every time that we ordain another pastor in this church, no one's ever surprised. You come here on a Sunday morning, this place is full of people, and we call the guy and we just go, oh yeah, I, I knew that. Why? Because those who God calls are already doing it. They don't wait until they're called. They have a servant's heart already. And that's what they look for in these guys that were going to come alongside, these 70 elders, come alongside Moses, hold up his hands. They look for men who are faithful. Shepherds are always found among the sheep. They're always serving, not waiting to be asked. They're just serving, because that's the calling God's place on their life. It's interesting. When David was called an anointed king of Israel, what was he doing? He was herding sheep. When Moses, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, what was he doing? He was herding sheep. It's interesting to me that these guys are shepherds, and God gave them shepherd training with sheep, so they might be able to shepherd the children of God. They might be able to minister to the people of God and have that very same heart. Elders or pastors, they should be called and always available to serve. Verses 16 through 18. Then I command, did, I commanded, he's speaking past tense, your judges at that time saying, hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother or a stranger who is with him. 
You shall not show partiality in your judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The ca- if, if the case is too hard for you, bring, it, bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commend you at that time all things which you should do. So he raises these guys up, and not only are they called to serve, but they're called to serve as judges. And so when someone would have a dispute, they would come before these guys who were spiritually mature, and those would be the guys. And isn't it interesting that what do we just look at last Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? When there's, a, when there's a difficulty between two brothers, where were they supposed to go? To the church. They're not to sue each other. You don't run to ungodly counsel. You don't run to a judge who's dead in his trespasses and sins and ask him to judge between two people who know God. That's what the Bible says. And it goes all the way back here to uh, the time of the children of Israel. Now, I want you to see here that we are to fear, that, that fear and a lack of faith will re- result in missing out on God's highest. Let's begin in verse 19. So we departed from Horeb, and that's Mount Sinai, and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way of the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. Again, Kadesh Barnea took them 11 days to get there. And we know what's going to happen. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord God has given you. Look, the Lord your God has set up the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. So God commanded them to step out and to go do it. Now, can we confess openly that this is three million ragtag people with women and children and elderly and all kinds of stuff, and they show up, and there's a mighty army in front of them. And no doubt, if you look at it from a physical perspective, you would say, we're going to lose. But what did they have going for them? God's promise. If God is for us, who can be against us? And if we start looking at things from a physical, we're going to be overwhelmed. But if we know that God has called us, and we know that God is in it, then it's God's business, and we just need to be obedient. Amen? And we learn to trust Him. Lord, where you guide, you provide. You're faithful. You know, four years ago, when, I, when God, by His grace, and through Pastor Don out of San Jose, sent us over here to start, start a Bible study with a handful of people, I knew that I knew that I knew this is where we're supposed to be. And though the church took a long time to grow, and we just taught the Word and we're faithful, it doesn't matter. The growth is up to God. Amen? What we're called to do is be obedient to what God has called us to. And these guys were called to be obedient and trust God. And even when they look at the circumstances, man, we're outnumbered. No, you're not, because you plus God is a majority. Amen? You plus God. You and God on one side and the whole world on the other side, you're going to win every single time. And so he tells them, go up and possess it. God has promised it to you. Do not be discouraged. The word there, discouraged, means lacking courage. And God may want us to step out. You know, maybe you're here tonight and you've never prayed out loud before. Can I encourage you when you go home or the next time you're in a small group, step out and pray out loud. God will bless it, amen? Maybe you've never lifted your hands in worship before. By the way, it's more than okay to lift your hands in worship here. Amen? Sometimes people wonder, no, you know what? It's okay. We're worshiping the Lord. We're, we're singing to an audience of one, amen? And it's okay. We don't want the attention on us. But lifting up holy hands, it's in the Bible, and so we need to be doing that at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Amen? Amen. Lift our hands and worship the Lord. What about having family devotions? Maybe you're a dad, you don't know what to do. Go home, get a devotional out of the bookstore on Sunday, if you have to. You know, go through a book of the Bible, even better, and sit down with your kids and take them through it. I promise you, you know more than your three-year-old. Amen? <laughs> so sit down with them, and if you don't, start studying. Amen? <laughs> Spend some time in the Bible. 
<laughs> Share your faith with a coworker. Don't be discouraged. Step out. Start praying for your coworkers by name. Ask, for God, ask God for opportunities and step out and share your faith. God will bless it. Start a Bible study at school or at work. The reason I know Joe Shoup today is God put on my heart. We started a Bible study where I was working, and Joe started coming to the Bible study. That's how I met him. That's how I got to know him. And now he's one of our assistant pastors. See how God does stuff? So maybe we got assistant pastors at your work. Go have a Bible study so things start coming to our church. Amen? So step out. And he tells them, don't be discouraged. Step out. But look how they respond. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us on the way which we should go up. So let's send some spies in there. Now some people think that setting out a fleece before God or sending spy, going to spy out the land is a good thing. No, it's not. Why are you putting out a fleece? You don't trust what God told you. Amen. Can you imagine Pastor John says, okay, Dave, I want you to go to Santa Cruz and start a church. Well, you know what I want? Uh, here's what I'm going to do. If the waves are between six and eight feet tomorrow, <laughs> then I'll go. And then they're six to eight feet. Well, now I want them to be between one and two feet. Tonight. I mean, you know, we start setting fleeces out. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, we don't trust what you've already told us. God wants us to say, Lord, you told me that's enough. I don't need confirmation from 5,000 other people. God, if you've told me, confirm it in your word, and I'm going to go. And instead, these guys said, let's go send some spies up into the land. Well, we know how that works out. Not real good. Let's read on. He says there, the plan pleased me well. This is Moses. So I took 12 of your men. This shows that Moses wasn't perfect either. One man from each tribe. And they departed and went up into the mountains and came out of the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us, and they brought back words saying to us, It is good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Now, how many people said that? Two. How many said, Oh, there's giants in the land, we've got to run away? Ten. You know what? God's, those who speak for God will always be outnumbered by those who speak against Him. You're always going to have people in your life that are telling you you're outside of your mind. You're going to do what? You want, you want to quit your job and be a missionary? You've got to be crazy. You're going to go live where? You want to do what? You, and right, and that's what the world will do because they look at things from a worldly perspective. And these guys went up and said, man, there's some big guys up in there. And they took their eyes off of God and put their eyes on their circumstances. If we have our eyes on God, the circumstances will never be too big. But if we take our eyes off of God, our circumstances will always be too big. And so they brought down the fruit of the land. And, and those of you who were here when we were in Numbers, remember how big the fruit was? The description was grapes, you know, the size of tennis balls. And they're bringing down these grapes and all this food. And I'm like, man, it's just what God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God's right yet again. Heart, imagine that. And so we should head on up there because God's right. And Joshua and Caleb and the other ten are like, man, we're going to get smoked. We're like grasshoppers. They'll just squash us under their feet. We can't possibly go against them. And so what do they do? Verse 26. Nevertheless, you would not go up but rebelled against against the command of the Lord your God and complained in your tents and said, because the Lord God hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Man, what, what a twist this is. God has given them the land, says all you got to do is walk in there and I'm going to wipe them out for you. And instead they say, God hates us because he brought us here. It's amazing how we just take the word of God and we can twist it when we start looking at our circumstances. And notice, where were they complaining? In their what? In their tents. Can I tell you that's the greatest tool of the enemy is for you to go home and start murmuring with your wife or your husband or your children or your roommate. 
Did you hear what Pastor Dave said? Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Go home and murmur and complain. And, and, you know, hey, the reality is that we have nothing to complain about. Don't murmur to your spouse. You know what? Guys especially, it destroys what God wants to do with your family if you go home and murmur. Three million murmurers, right? We don't need to have a hundred murmurers in this room. We need to say, you know what? We need to be worshiping and praising God. By the way, I found that if one person's murmuring and the other one's not, it stops. You ever notice that? It takes two to murmur. One starts murmuring, you start saying, you know, God is so good. God's doing great and awesome things. And, you know, I'll pray for you about that. I mean, it just puts a stop into it. People want to be in the, you know, they want to get a bunch of murmurs around them so they can all murmur together. And so it is in this, this place where they should have had great faith. Instead, they displayed great doubt. And it's in our homes where we ought to have great faith and exemplify it for our children where we often exhibit great doubt. Why? They were overwhelmed. They were greater number. They were taller. We know that there were even giants in the land, and they looked from a physical perspective, and they were overwhelmed. And they complained. And it says, verse 28, Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we see the sons of Anakim there. Again, Anakim, there were, there were giants in the land. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or be afraid of them. Then the Lord your God who goes before you, the Lord your God who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Now it's not like these guys had never seen God work before. Didn't they see the ten plagues? Didn't they see Passover? Didn't they see the, all the blood, all the water supply turn into blood? Didn't they, they saw, didn't they see the Red Sea open up and walk through it? And if they didn't see it, they at least knew of it if they were, they're, they're younger now. The reality is they knew God could move. And, they need, and you know what? That's why it's so important for us. Can I encourage you? Keep a prayer journal and then highlight when God answers prayer. I love that. I love to go back and look at prayer journals and just see all that God has done. It just reminds me of God's continued faithfulness. Look in the Word. See God's continued faithfulness. You know what? Again... Why, why did all the Israelites, why were all the Israelites afraid of Goliath except for one young man? Because they saw a giant. And then David came and said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against who? My God. He didn't see a giant against a man, he saw a man against Almighty God. And that's why these guys missed it. They saw giants, they were overwhelmed, and they needed to look at it from a spiritual perspective and an eternal perspective, not a physical one. We are to walk by faith, not by what? We're to walk by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Spying out the land was not obedience, but evaluation to make sure God knew what he was talking about. Can I tell you right now? He always does. Amen? Trust him. It says there in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way you went up until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God. What else had he done for them? The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, right? The cloud that w was above them. Every day they woke up and it led them. The manna was falling from the sky. He was continually providing for them and they still didn't believe. You ever met anybody who said, if God showed up, then I'd believe? You ever met anybody like that? The Lord says, you know what, even if in, in Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man, he says, even if the angels go, they won't believe. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, that's the Bible, they won't believe even if an angel shows up. God's word is what transforms lives. Verse 33. Who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch tents, to show you 
the way you should go, in a fire by night, in a cloud by day. So God had led them, they'd been following Him, and they still didn't trust Him. Verse 34, And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and his children I'm giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. Why does God bless Caleb? Because he obeys God. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about spiritually blessed. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. The result of a rebellion, it aroused anger in the heart of God. It produced a fruitless walk in the heart of people. Look at verse 37. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. This is Moses speaking. Because Moses smote the rock. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Now again, I love Moses' heart here, because he's talking about the guy who's going to take his place, and how does he talk about him? He says, encourage him. We've talked about this before, I won't take a lot of time. Moses is a picture of the law. Joshua, Moses is the law. Joshua's name can also be, what? Jesus, Yeshua. Moses, the law, could not bring them into the land of promise, but Jesus, Yahshua, Joshua could. So there's a very clear type of Jesus, that the law reveals our sin, but the law cannot save us. Only Jesus can. And Joshua was the one that would bring them into that place. So this great lawgiver, the deliverer, the man who had his face veiled, could not enter in because, again, the law is not good enough to save us. It reveals our sin and our need for a Savior. Verse 39, Moreover, your little ones and your children, whom you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there to them. I will give it, and they shall possess it. So guess what? They, one of the excuses they made for not wanting to fight the enemy is they said their children would die. And now he says to them, guess what, guys? Your children are all going to inherit the land, and you're going to die because you didn't obey. God is faithful to that next generation. Your kids will go in. Don't blame your faithlessness on your kids. I do more for God, but I got kids. That's weak. I'm sorry, that's weak. We can make anything an excuse we want to. Can't we? You know what? When I was a youth pastor, I used to take my kids to camp when they were two, three, and four years old. Got winter camp? You guys are going, right? And, and you know what? They loved it. They grew up around the youth group. They were like, you know, the youth group mascots. You got these little kids, right? And now it's neat because Vince and Tiffany do the same thing with Z. And I love that. I mean, you know what? If you want to do ministry, just bring your kids with you. You feel called to go downtown? Bring your kids with you. You feel called to go feed people in a homeless shelter? Take your kids with you. They'll just be blessed and encouraged. And they'll get to see what, mom, what is important to mom and dad. If you feel called to teach in a Sunday school class, teach the class your kids are in. Don't let the fact that we have children get in the way of what God wants to do with us. Verse 40. But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Okay, guys, because you disobeyed, your kids are going to enter in, but you're not going to. You didn't believe. You, didn't, you heeded the words of men over the word of God. You will not go in to God's promise. You're going to go back out into the wilderness. Now watch this last ditch effort. We're almost done. Verse 41. Then you answered and said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. Now, when did they say that? When they got caught. You know, 
often that's, you know, we want to repent when, you know, it's like my, I'm a dad, and you catch your kid red-handed, and, you know, you, they never tell you they did anything wrong unless you catch them red-handed. And then it's like, oh, I did wrong, and then they repent because they're afraid of the wrath to come. They're afraid of the, con- it's more about consequences than it is conviction, right? And that's what's happening here. You guys are going right back out into the wilderness. Now they're like, oh, we sinned. Remember Saul? He got busted bringing back Agag and bringing back you know, from the Amalekites. He brought them all back with him. And then Samuel shows up and, and he says, oh, I did all that God told me. And he says, what's this bleeding of sheep I hear? Oh, the people brought him back. And then finally he says, you know what? The kingdom is being ripped from you. Oh, I repent. I'm going to lose everything. Now I repent. And often, a lot of times, the only time some people get on their knees before God is when they're going through really difficult times. Well, maybe the reason you're going through so much difficulty is the Lord misses you, and He wants to see you, right? Maybe we go through tough times, so we'll spend more time on our knees before Him. So upon hearing the heavy consequences that the rebellion and unbelief was going to send them out in a death march, now they say, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded up his weapons of war, you were ready to go up to the mountains. And the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight, for I am not among them, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So he told them to go, and they wouldn't. Now he tells them not to, so they do. Sounds like us sometimes, right? Don't do it. I'm going to be in the other room. Don't touch the cookies. You know, I'm getting three steps away, man. They're trying to figure out a ladder system to get up to the cow, you know. The reality is that God said, don't. When God said, go, they, oh, we can't, they're giants. Then the Lord said, oh, I don't, you can't go now because you're, you're going to be in the wilderness. Now they want to go. And they're going in their own flesh now. Right. If they'd gone in the, with the Lord, they would have been victorious. Now they're going to go in their flesh. How do you think it's going to work out? Look at the next verse. So I spoke to you, yet you would not listen, but rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up to the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in the mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do. What a picture that is. Yeah, you see like a bee with a bunch of school children, and then one little bee, and you got 30 people ah, running all over the place, right? And so they went up in their own flesh, and when they did, they ran away like they were being chased by bees. And they were drove back from Seir to Ormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. They didn't have faith to do what God had told them, Then they presumed to do what God had not told them to do. And this is a prime example of operating in the flesh, not in faith. Move with their circumstances, not by conviction. And to me, there's a difference between faith and foolishness. Faith is trusting enough to do what God says, even when you don't understand. And foolishness is trying to figure out how to do it on your own. It's foolish. Without God, you can do what? Nothing. So, isn't that the first place we ought to go? In time of difficulty, not the last thing we ought to do? Figure it all out for yourself and then pray and ask God to bless it. So they wept before the Lord over their consequences of their rebellion and they were not broken and repentant because if they had been, God would have heard them. You know what? If we come before God with prayers of anything but repentance when we're in rebellion, He's not going to hear us. Did you know that? The first thing that needs to come out of our mouth is brokenness and repentance that there might be restoration. We need to come daily, Lord, forgive me. When you're convicted over sin, don't save it up till the end of the day. If you're convicted in the middle of the day, stop and ask God to forgive you. Amen? Sign of spiritual maturity is the distance between when you sin and when you confess it. It should get shorter and shorter as you become more and more mature in your faith. And he said he would not listen. He did not hear the prayers of those who lacked 
repentance. Verse 46, so you remained in Kadesh many days according to the days that you spent there. How many days? 40 years worth. What happened? They rebelled against God. They missed out on God's highest. They ended up never entering into the land of promise. They never knew what God's highest was for them. And their lives were a disappointment. Why? Because they didn't hear God's voice. They didn't heed his voice when they heard it. May we not live lives wandering in the wilderness. Just as he's sharing this with this younger generation so they don't make the same mistakes as their parents, may we not make these mistakes. May we come before God and be desperate for him and say, Lord, my life is yours. Who paid for your life? Who does it belong to? So why are we telling him what he can do with it? Amen? Our lives are his. May we give them to him. So in closing, learning from mom and dad's mistakes. They directly rebelled against God's command to enter into the land of promise, and the result was 40-year death march. Why? Because they lacked faith. We can trust in God's promises, His covenant. Just like He multiplied the offspring for Abraham, and, and they inherited the land of promise, so too when we read in the Bible that Jesus Christ is coming back for us, can we trust that promise? Can we trust the fact that He says He's preparing a place for us and we'll live with Him for eternity? Can we trust that promise? Amen. The promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Can we trust that promise? Absolutely. So praise God. We also see that we are to raise up godly leaders, not be the lone ranger. That we are to have fear, not have fear and a lack of faith. Because when we do, it results in missing out on God's highest. We saw the result of rebellion as a fruitless walk. And then lastly, we saw the contrast between faith and foolishness. Faith is trusting in God and foolishness is trusting in your own ability. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the examples. Even though this happened 5,500 years ago, or 3,500 years ago, I thank you, Lord, that it still applies to every single life in this room tonight. Father, I pray that the warnings that you gave to that next generation, that we would heed them ourselves. That, Father, when you say go, that we would respond and say yes, Lord. We wouldn't ask about the details. We wouldn't ask what the job pays. But Lord, we'd say, Lord, if it's your will, we'll go. Here I am, Lord, send me. Father, I pray we would not see things through physical eyes and be overwhelmed by our circumstances. But Lord, we'd see our circumstances as an opportunity for you to work and for you to be glorified. And for a, we know, Lord, that without a test, there can be no testimony. Father, I pray th for those who are going through difficulty right now in this room. Father God, I pray your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, you would strengthen them to keep their eyes on you in the midst of a trial. And Father, I pray you would use their difficulty for your glory. Father, we continue to lift up Santa Cruz County to you. We pray, Father God, for revival here. May it start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.